0: Good guys. We are going to be continuing our series today. Our series that we're doing during Lent, we're focusing on the cross. Um, in case you don't know me, my name is Gareth and I'm 23. And when I grow up, I want to be a vicar. <gasps> and God willing, that may well happen sooner rather than later. Um, just a few little things about me. I like tweed, I like knitwear, Um, I've given up meat for length, Uh, I nearly ate it deliberately, we're talking about justification through grace today, I nearly ate it deliberately as a sermon illustration, Um, but I figured there are probably other imperfections of mine that I could draw upon. Um, I currently, uh, until I do become a vicar, I'm currently working part-time here at G2 as a student worker. So, I am very blessed to get to work alongside Holly with some brilliant students like Jasmine. So, it's a great uh, pleasure to do that. The rest of the time, I work at York Race Co, where I carve fresh hand-carved sandwiches. It is a joy. <laughs> um, alongside that, I've recently found out that I have also been appearing on the uh, BBC One drama, <laughs> The Musketeers* starring as Athos. Um, I don't have a hat, but I think there is a resemblance. I think it's the slightly moody face, bad facial hair and tired eyes. (laughs) I've been compared to a few people ranging from uh, a slightly fat James Arthur to the Reverend Jesse Jackson of all people. Uh, But I think that's probably the most accurate. So, um, what we're doing today, we're continuing uh, this series that we're doing through Lent. It's called Death by Love. and Basically, what we are doing is we are focusing in on the cross. So as we go in the run-up to Easter, as we build up to the season of Easter, we are thinking about the cross. We are reminding ourselves about the cross. Last week, Josh talked brilliantly about the idea that Jesus is our revelation. So what he talked about was this crazy idea that through Jesus, God became man, the Word became flesh. And in so doing, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. He revealed himself fully to humans. In Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the idea that Jesus is our justification. Jesus is our justification. And this is a, a doctrine, this is an idea which can either go one or two ways in the church. It's one that we can sometimes uh, underemphasize but it's one that we can talk about to the exclusion of everything else as well. Um, But I think it's a really central idea uh, in our faith. It's a really central idea in Christianity. Um, And it is one of the central factors of the cross. It's not the only factor. That's why we're doing a whole series on all the different things that the cross tells us. On all the different things we learn about God in the cross. But today we are focusing on the idea that because of the cross, Jesus has made justification possible. And so, as we do that, we're going to look at a passage, and Ellie is going to come up and read that passage. So, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Romans 3, we're going to be reading from verse 21 to 28. I think it's on page 785, but it's Romans 3, 21 to 28. And Ellie's going to read for us now. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, The word there is propitiation. I. I'm afraid I'm a bit of a nerd and use ESV. Um, It will probably say atoning sacrifice in the NIV versions that we have on the table. Um, Before we go through this passage and before we think about what it's saying to us and what it means, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us today. Father, I pray that you would be speaking through your word and through me today. Thank you that you are incredible. That you died on the cross for us. Father, I pray that today we would have a greater appreciation of what that means. That we would go home excited and joyful by the fact that you have come to die for us. And that we can be set free and that we can be seen right in your eyes. Thank you for that wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this idea of uh, justification, this idea that salvation, justification, or righteousness is free—it's a free gift—that um, we can that Jesus died for us—is maybe one that for some people is very familiar. It's one that you feel like you have down. Well, sometimes I think we need to be reminded of things more than we uh, learn new things. So, I, I, if that's you today, I pray that. We would go out of here with a fresh appreciation of what it means, what the idea that Jesus died for us means. Um, But I suspect there are some people here who either you're not following Jesus yet, or maybe you are, and this idea of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, it doesn't actually make sense. You understand it, you know what to say, you know the right things to say when people ask you about it. You can quote John 3.16, you've got that down. But actually, there's something about this idea that Jesus died on a cross for our sins which just doesn't make sense. Um, So my prayer today is that as we look through this passage, that this idea of justification would become clearer uh, to us. And that that would mean something, not just as a theological construct, not just as an abstract idea, but that would have a practical implication for who we are, for for our identity And for who we are when we leave this room today. So we go back and start with verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And this tells us the first of five things I want us to learn about justification today. And this is, quite simply, that God offers justification by grace through faith. God offers justification freely by grace through faith. As we think about this idea, I think it's probably worth that we we unpack what this idea of justification is, what this term means. Or as uh, verse 21 puts it, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. So the phrases righteousness and justification in this passage have the same Greek origin, so we can kind of use them interchangeably, that's okay. But what does that actually mean? Well, I think the first thing that's worth remembering is that justification actually means more than forgiveness. So when we're talking about this idea that justification is free, we're not just saying that God forgives us freely. We're not just saying that there is a not guilty verdict available, we're not just saying that there is a pardon available, we're saying that there is justification available, that there is righteousness available, and it's free through God's grace. And I think an easy way of thinking about what justification and righteousness means is that it is basically right standing before God. It's right standing before God. In a way it's this idea that we can stand before God and look him in the eye. Holy, mighty though he is, it's right standing before him. Now this idea that righteousness or justification is free, it's freely available through God's grace, is a radical and almost counterintuitive idea. It's one that goes against the grain of much thought, of much spiritual thought, of much religious thought through the ages. It's unlike the claims of any other Religion or belief system. And it's quite an offensive idea to many people. It's worth noting that this uh, book, Romans, this, that this chapter is drawn from, was a letter written to the Roman church, to the early Roman church. And it was a hodgepodge of different people. It was, a, it, was a really, it was a melting pot, the Roman church. And one of the groups that were included in the Roman church were Jewish Christians. And these were guys that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But they still held on to this idea that one was made right before God through the law. So this idea that Paul is trying to nail down to them is that justification, right standing before God, is something that he has offered freely. And when you think about it, it's quite understandable how that can be difficult. If you have spent your life trying to justify yourself through works of a law, through a framework of practice, of religious practice, and then suddenly you're told that actually, right, standing before God is something which is freely available, that's actually pretty hard to let go of. And one thing I've found when I've spoken to people is that this is not an idea which is uh, which is only found amongst religious people, or religious people. This is an idea which people that don't even believe in God hold to. I've met many people who have said that the idea that God would offer right standing before him freely, apart from what we do, they found that offensive, because they don't understand how that works. How is it that someone who isn't as morally accomplished as I am could have right standing before God and not me, because of grace? How is that fair? That is quite a common thing I hear, that is quite a common feeling, it's quite a natural thing, because... There's a tendency in many human beings to want to basically formulate your own spiritual CV. That's what we like to do. We like to formulate our own spiritual CV. We like the idea that in our own strength, through our own actions, through our own power, that we might be justified, that we might be able to stand right before God or even right in our own eyes. So this is the idea that grace... Of grace, uh, of justification by uh, God's grace through our faith in Jesus, is, is is offensive to many people. But the reality is that these verses teach that right standing cannot be achieved by our works. There is no religious framework which enables us to stand before God and look Him in the eye and be righteous. It's just not possible in our own strength. And it is for that reason that God offers. Salvation, justification, right standing before him, freely. And this is because we cannot justify ourselves. This is a second thing. We could never justify ourselves. Let's look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, this can seem a very offensive concept. This can really jar with our hearts, this idea that we're all sinners. It seems very judgmental. It seems very harsh. But actually, I think if we really think about it, it's pretty obvious. You only have to turn on the news to know that this is not a perfect world full of perfect people. If anything, this is one of the ideas... In this passage, this is one of the fundamental ideas of Christianity, that we're not perfect. It's one which everyone accepts. But I understand how, when phrased that we're all sinners, it can jar with our sensibilities. But there's a couple of things I think that's worth uh, noting, that's worth realising about what this idea of, of all being sinners who fall short of the glory of God. The first is, what does the word sin actually mean? Well... In this passage, the phrase which is used for sin is the Greek word, hamartia, and that literally means to miss the mark. That means that we miss the mark. And in so doing, we fall short of the the glory of God. See, what I realise when I think about this is that not only do I fall short of the glory of God, I, as stupid as it sounds, I fall short of the glory of Gareth. But think about it, that's probably true for all of you. If you were to sit down right now, I I challenge you, if you were to sit down right now and write down what you think the framework was, the morality, the moral system was for a perfect life, for what you thought was the best possible way to live, I challenge you, write that down and then at the end of the week, have a look and see if you've lived up to those expectations. Have a look to see if you've lived up to your own standards. And I challenge you to do that. And, I, and I, I, I don't think I'm casting many aspersions when I say that few if any of us would actually do it. If, I'm to, if I was to look in the mirror, I would know that I fall short of my own standards. There are things I do that make me cringe. There are things I do which I am deeply ashamed of. And I think that's probably true for all of us. We all fall short of our own standards. So... If we're talking about the idea of the standards of a perfect, holy, creator God, how much more obvious is it that we're going to fall short of those standards? I'm not being judgmental, I'm just stating what I think is pretty obvious truth. I mean, at the end of the day, if I say the phrase, I'm only human, what do I mean? I mean by definition that I'm imperfect. I'm not being judgmental, I'm just being honest. We all fall short of the glory of God. And this verse is not meant to be one which causes us to be judgmental or harsh in our treatment to other people. Because this verse applies to all indiscriminately. This verse applies to all indiscriminately. Paul himself goes on to call himself the chief of sinners. Paul is not writing here from a lofty moral position. Claiming that everyone else is wrong and that he he alone has a moral framework of his own which is right. No, he's saying that we're all in the same position. If anything, this verse is a great leveller. This verse is not one which gives permission to religious people to, to point and judge others. It does exactly the opposite. It makes that impossible. It makes that impossible. In John 8, 1-11, we find the story of the woman caught in adultery and um, the Pharisees are about to stone her and they say to Jesus, right, well, this woman has been caught in adultery and the law tells us that we need to stone her. What should we do? Well, Jesus responds to that by drawing a line in the sand and saying, if any of you have never sinned, if any of you can claim that you are perfect, you can judge her, you can throw your stones, But none of them can. Because none of them, however religious, however well they know the scriptures, however well they study, however acquainted they are with religious life, none of them can throw those stones because they are all imperfect people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The application of this verse is not that men and women in religious garb can be judgmental. The application of this verse is not that some young upstart with a microphone can look around at our congregation and cast judging eyes. It's exactly the opposite. We're in this together, guys. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> Fair enough. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why... The only way we could be justified is if it was given to us freely, because we could never earn it. The only, that is the reason why justification has to be free, because we could never earn it. But justification did have a cost. Justification is free to us, but it did have a cost. Put it another way, there was a cost to God's grace. There was a cost to God's grace. My third point, justification is made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Justification is made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Maybe if I shout loud enough, he'll hear this. I'm very tempted, but I won't. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Justification is free for us. Right standing before God is something which is available for us freely, but it costs Jesus his life. Justification is free, but it costs Jesus his life. When Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with the consequences of sin. He dealt with the consequences of sin. This idea that we all fall short, the idea that everyone on earth, everyone in this room, everyone on this earth has done things wrong, it comes with a cost. Later on in Romans it says that the wages of sin are death. But, right standing before God is possible to be free because Jesus died on the cross for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed our sin and its consequences. Now, forgive me for being a bit nerdy, but this is a concept which is often called substitutionary atonement. But, put the jargon aside, it literally means that Jesus was our substitute. He literally took our place. When he was on the cross, he was taking our place. And I think a good analogy of this is if you just look at the crucifixion narrative itself. Before Jesus dies on the cross, there was meant to be someone called Barabbas, there was meant to be a thief called Barabbas who was set to die. Jesus literally died in his place. And although that is part of the story, that, I think, is a great symbol of what Jesus did in in taking Barabbas' place, he took our place. In that situation, we're all Barabbas. Jesus literally substituted himself to absorb sin, to deal with its consequences. In essence, he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. If you read through the Old Testament, you hear that what the Jewish people did is is, is to atone, to make up for their sins, to make up for their wrongdoing. They would sacrifice an unblemished animal. And in essence, that's what Jesus was. He was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Because as it uh, says in Hebrews, we know that really the blood of bulls and goats, they can't They can't really make up for sin. They can't really make up for our wrongdoing. But Jesus, God made man. The Word made flesh. Perfect, blameless. In dying on the cross, he was able to absorb sin. He was able to make it possible for us to come to God and stand right before him. And we can do that through faith. And again, you only have to look at the crucifixion narrative to see how that plays out. It's the thief on the cross. It's the thief on the cross. As he is there next to Jesus dying, he turns to him and he goes, I know that you shouldn't be here and I should be. He realises that Jesus is dying when he is innocent but that he was guilty. It's that realisation. That's what it means. That's what it means to accept Jesus through faith. It's to understand. It's to realise. It's to come to him, knowing what he's done for us. It's to say to him. It's to pray that prayer that Josh was talking about last week, that John the Baptist prayed, that you would become more and I would become less. It's this understanding that Jesus has taken our place. And the amazing thing about the cross is, God did not wait for us to get sorted. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think it's worth noting here that it says that in God's divine forbearance he passed over former sins. Now what I think this means is that the cross justifies us. Jesus' death justifies people on both sides of the cross. So if you go down to chapter 4, it says that Abraham was righteous because of faith. If you read through the entire Old Testament, you find all these stories of people who have a relationship with God, who know God. And Abraham is one of the first examples, and his righteousness, his right standing before God is something which he achieves through faith. And I think that's because just as we look back to the cross, even though they didn't know it, they were looking forward to the cross. On either side of the cross, God made Made it possible for people like you and me, imperfect people like you and me, to have a relationship with him, to have right standing before him because of Jesus' death on the cross. But I think the question that often comes up next is, is is that right, you may understand this idea that justification is free, that God is gracious. That this is freely available to us. That this is because of what Jesus has done and not what I've done. But if God is so gracious, then why did Jesus have to die? If God is so gracious, then why did Jesus have to die? It's almost the opposite way of looking at it from the legalist perspective. It's this idea that, well I understand this idea that God is loving and gracious. So why did he not just wipe the slate clean? Why did Jesus have to die in such a painful way? Why was that necessary? So I think this is where we come to point number four. The cross demonstrates not only God's love, but his justice. The cross demonstrates not only God's love, but his justice. So if we look at verse 26. This was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As we talked about, sin has consequences, and these are consequences that need to be dealt with. Now, I appreciate this is kind of an uncomfortable topic. It seems like a difficult thing to talk about, this idea that sin has consequences. Again, it might seem quite judgmental. Um, And this is going to be a strange thing for me to ask you to imagine or ask you to do, but I genuinely think it's helpful, at least it's helpful for me in, in trying to come to grips with this idea of why Jesus had to die, why it was necessary that Jesus died so that we might have right standing before God. Imagine all the wrongdoing that happens on the earth. Imagine all the wrong things which people have ever done. And imagine if you had the really unfortunate task of coming up with a punishment for that. Imagine if you were looking at all the wrongdoing in human history and you had the horrible task of coming up with what the verdict for that was. It's unimaginable. We don't want to think about that because the reality is we know that we'd be faced with handing out an incredibly difficult punishment God is fiercely holy. God is perfect and he is perfectly just. In dying on the cross, Jesus managed to uphold God's perfect justice, his perfect righteousness, because he took the consequence that sin had to have in order that you and I, imperfect as we are, can look and stand before God and be declared righteous. Jesus had to die to uphold God's justice. Because something had to happen. But God did not want to just do away with humanity. God did not want to see us suffer. So he came to earth and suffered the consequences of sin himself so that you and I could come to him and stand before him and be right before him. The cross is a demonstration, not merely of God's love, but his perfect justice. It is the perfect demonstration that God is fiercely just, but also full of grace and love for his creation. And as this verse says, the cross means that God is both just and the justifier. The scales of justice can be equal, but God gave himself to make that happen. God is both just and the justifier. The scales of justice are equal, but God himself made that possible. And as we think about these things, as we think about what the implications of this is for our life, if we have accepted, if we have come to God and we have accepted what Christ has done for us on the cross through faith, What is the implication of that? Well, I think we need to look at verses 27 to 28 for that. What becomes of our boasting, then? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This idea that we can be justified before God, that we can have right standing before God. This means that through Jesus, we can stand before God blameless, justified and righteous. We don't have to justify ourselves anymore. We don't have to strive to please God. We don't have to jump through spiritual hoops in order to be able to stand before God. Because Jesus has done that for us. This is the good news of the gospel. But this also means that we cannot boast about it, because it's not anything we've done. Justification by faith means we cannot boast except in the cross. It means we cannot boast except in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This means we don't have to feel guilt or shame because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to hold our head in shame when we come to God because he's made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. But it also means that we can't boast. This does not give us justification for self-righteousness. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Our righteousness is not our own, it's Jesus's. Our righteousness is not our own, it's Jesus's. Self-righteousness is no longer an option. When we put our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done, self-righteousness is no longer an option because we know that it's only through what he has done that we can stand before God. Matt Chandler, the American pastor, puts it like this and I think it's quite helpful. The cross means this, that in the kingdom of God no one has to walk with a limp. But neither can anyone walk with a swagger. In the kingdom of God, no one has to walk with a limb, but neither can we walk with a swagger. We can boast only in the cross, only in who Jesus is and what he's done. So I think we'll just summarize some of the thoughts of this passage, some of what we've been thinking about today. Justification is free, and it's free. Because of what Jesus has done. There's nothing we can do to make our spiritual CV so brilliant that we might stand before God. But thankfully, we don't have to because Jesus has passed the test for us. And the American pastor Doug Wilson puts it like this: when we the difference, there's a difference between good news and good advice. There's a difference between good news and good advice. Good advice is a teacher giving good and helpful instructions to her pupils about how to pass a test. Good news is that she's already done the test for them and it's been completed perfectly. That's the difference between good news and good advice. Religion, moral frameworks, striving, that's good advice. It can get you so far. But as it says in Romans 40, one day we will stand before God and we'll give an accounting. And at that point we would be forced to seek to justify ourselves. And if we seek to do it in our own strength, if we seek to do that based on our own lives, it's just not going to work. But I thank God, I praise God, that that doesn't matter. Because on that cross, he's made it possible for someone like me, to stand before him. He's made it possible for someone like me with all the messed up stuff in my life I can stand before him. And the great thing is is this isn't just forgiveness. This isn't just a no, a not guilty verdict. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross he's literally absorbed my sin. He's taken it away. He's made me clean. He's made me free. It means I can stand before God. And as Josh talked about last week in John 1 verse 12, it says that Jesus came so that we might be children of God. Elsewhere in the Bible it says that we are co-heirs. We are adopted into his family. The message of Christianity is not just that we should be punished, but God's taking the punishment so we can feel a bit better about ourselves. The message is that God has made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. We can know him. We can stand before him. That is what the good news is. That's what the gospel is. It's about a creator coming down to his creation to reconcile himself to it, to make himself known and to allow us to know him. That is what this message is. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about family. It's about being welcomed into God's family. One of the amazing things which happened when Jesus died on the cross is that there was a curtain in the temple. And this curtain was outside a place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is somewhere that only the great high priest was able to go once a year. And in fact, it was considered so dangerous to stand before the presence of God that they would tie a rope around their leg. Because if they went in, they were worried that they might die and have to be dragged down. That was how feared this place was. That was how difficult it was to accept God. But when Christ died on the cross, that curtain was torn. That meant that we can now walk before God, we can stand before God. We can be in relationship with him. We can call him Father. We can cry out, Abba, Father. That's the equivalent of saying Daddy. And that's not because of anything we've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. And really, my prayer for you is that today, if you're not following Jesus, I pray that this is your day. There'll be some guys, I'm sure we can get some guys around to pray. If you want to... If you want to come to the cross, if you want to look at what Jesus has done for you and say, I get it. It's not an intellectual thing even, just to say, I don't quite get this, but I know that you love me and I know that this says something about who you are and what you've done. If you want to do that today, I pray that you do it. Come and chat to me afterwards. Come and pray with me afterwards. This might be your day. Don't hold it off. Jesus has died for you So that you could be part of his family. I would love to welcome you to the family today. I would love to do it. I'd love to welcome you to this hospital of broken people. That are just loving God. And and, are seeking to find out what it means to follow him. I'd love to welcome you to this community of people. That don't always get things right. That screw up. But actually know that we have a good God. Who has died for us. I'd love to do that today. I'd love to welcome you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up now. And what we're going to do, we're going to respond to this in a way which people in the church have been been responding in this way for centuries. We're going to do a simple communion. And what communion is, it's the bread and wine represent the body and blood of Christ, given on the cross. And as we accept communion, as we eat the body and the blood, as we eat the bread and we drink the wine, what we're doing is we are accepting what Christ has done for us. We are remembering that on that cross, he gave himself so that we might come to know God, so that we might be in relationship with God, so that we might say to God, you're our father. And Christian's going to come up and he's going to lead us through that process. In, in just a minute, but before we do that, I'm going to pray. And again, I would love us to welcome you into the family today. So, if you do not know Jesus, come and pray with somebody. We'll have some guys stationed over here, and would love to pray with you. And I'm going to I'm going to pray for us all now. Father God, thank you for this incredible, counterintuitive. Message. thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to come down into your own creation that you humbled yourself to do that to die on that cross to make it possible for us to come to know you Lord I want to come to you today personally as someone who screws up, as someone who messes up all the time and thank you for what the cross means to me I want to thank you that as a screwed-up individual, I can call you Father because you've made that possible. As we the bread and drink the wine, I pray that we're reminded of that remarkable truth, of that remarkable message, that remarkable idea of who you are and what you do. And even if we've been following you for a long time, I pray that that idea, that this message, would reminded of it again. It would mean something fresh, it would mean something new, it would excite us all over again. The idea of who you are and what you've done for us.